0: So, we are continuing in this series that we are calling New Life, and we're studying it, we're figuring out what it looks like to actually live the life that Jesus has for each one of us. And I just, I need a show of hands just for a minute. Has anyone ever had one of those moments where maybe they were doing something, driving somewhere, going somewhere, and they got there, but they don't really remember getting there? Anyone ever had one of those moments where you just kind of mindlessly travel and you're like, oh, how, did I, how did I get here? So when I was in university, there was a, a church that I was working at. It was an hour away. And every Wednesday night, we would drive. Tiffany and I would drive to this church and I would teach. We'd do this stuff, spend a couple hours, and we would drive home. And I just remember like multiple times that this trip, like I'd be driving and we'd be heading on this way. And like we're getting ready to point, turn on the Poindexter where our university was. And I just remember looking at Tiffany and be like, did we slow down like ever? Did we stop at traffic lights? Like, I don't even remember what happened. There's like the speed trap that you would go through is in a place called Hertford where it's like the speed limit changed and like they loved giving people tickets. And It's like, did I even slow down? Like, I don't even remember. It's like this hour drive and I just completely zoned out. I drove this so many times. And like, I just remember thinking like, that's a little bit terrifying. Like it's a little bit scary that I just drove 60 miles and I don't remember any of it. And you just get there and like as terrible and as scary as that is, let me just tell you that's not a good thing to do when you're driving, okay? So if you have one of those moments, take, stop on the side of the road, take a nap, something like that, that's not a good thing to do. It's terrible to do when we're driving. But I think it's actually even more terrifying. It's actually more dangerous to do that in our spiritual lives. Because I think sometimes that's us, right? We just kind of go. We just kind of float around. just like, oh, how did I get here? How did I get here? I started here. I don't really know how I made it here, but I'm here, right? And, like, and it's, it's dangerous when we're driving, but it's even more dangerous when in our spiritual lives. Because here's the thing. If we don't shape our lives, our lives will shape us. If we aren't the people, if we aren't intentional of how we are living our lives, if we are not intentional about the rhythms that we're doing, the habits that are going on in our lives, if we are not intentional in those things, then our lives are going to be shaped. Here's the like, All of our lives are, are shaped by something. And so it's either we're choosing to shape our lives or they're going to shape us. And if you remember the passage from, from Romans 12, 2 last week, it said, do not be conformed to the pattern Of this world and so we don't conform we don't just kind of float through life like the ruler would love nothing more for us than for us just to kind of float through life not really giving a a, a thought of where we're going not really thinking much of where we're heading like that would just the ruler of this world would love that I mean Satan would be really happy for us just to show up on church on a Sunday morning but have no plan have no desire have no rhythm of life no habits that we are doing to grow in our faith outside of that and so like, we have to be setting these rhythms in our lives. We have to be doing these things in our lives so that we can be the people that God desires us to be. Because if we do not shape our lives, they will, they will shape us. And this is why I think the other part of Romans 12 too is so important. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God transform you by the renewing of your mind by changing the way that you think. Notice the, prog- the, the process. God transforms us, and we change the way that we think. God is doing the transformation, and we, st- we change the way we act. We change our habits. We change these rhythms. We start changing the things that we do, and we allow God to transform us and change us into, into people that he desires us to be. So back in 1972, I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you were alive then, but in 1972, there was this research experiment that came out that's called the Marshmallow Experiment. Anybody know what we're talking about? Okay, a few people, anybody who loves like just studying experiments like this is me? And and so what happened was like this was meant to kind of teach and kind of to track delayed gratification. And so we are a world, we are a culture that loves instant gratification. And so what this research did, what this experiment did, was it kind of tracked the way that people would, would have delayed gratification. And so they would put some toddlers, some, some young kids in a room, and they would sit a marshmallow in front of them. And they would tell them, hey, if you don't eat the marshmallow, if you wait for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, if you wait that amount of time, then not only can you get the marshmallow, but you can also get... Uh, the treat that you really want, like maybe it's like a, a cup of ice cream or or something that's better than a marshmallow. So to be honest, like if somebody puts a marshmallow in front of me, it's not going to be really hard for me not to eat the marshmallow. But but he's like, there's something even better that you can get. And so a few years ago, this this experiment was retested, and it was kind of people wanted to see is it still true. And what they found is the kids who could who could have delayed gratification, the kids who didn't eat the marshmallow had more successful careers. They were better students because they could delay gratification. There was some discipline there. And so once this experiment was rediscovered, I suppose, there were just tons of people doing this with their kids. And I just loved seeing all these videos on social media. Like, people would secretly set up their camera, and they'd set their marshmallow in front of their kid, and be like, all right, if you don't eat it, I'll give you three minutes, then you can get something else. And one thing I noticed about almost every one of these videos... Is like the kid would start out really well. And then as time went on, you'd just start seeing, and they'd start staring at the marshmallow a little bit more. And the marshmallow started looking a little bit better and a little bit better. And I just remember, I was looking at these, watching these videos, and I'm like, okay, you only have 45 seconds left. Don't cave now. Don't give up. And they would, they would get so close. And then finally, they're just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to eat the marshmallow. And they'd, and they'd eat it. And I was thinking about that experiment, and I was thinking about that. Like, I think that's sometimes us in our spiritual lives, right? Like we decide, okay, I'm going to be someone who prays. And so I am going to set my mind. I am going to be a discipline and I am going to pray. And we start praying and like nothing seems to be happening. And we we might be so close, but we don't really know that. And so we're just like, I'm just going to settle for the marshmallow rather than the bowl of ice cream. Or we say, hey, I am going to commit myself to reading the Bible every single day and studying God's word on a regular basis. And so we start doing that and we're doing it. We think we're doing it right, but nothing really seems to be happening. You you had a conversation with someone and you couldn't quote 14 chapters of scripture, so clearly it must not be working. And you're just like, I I guess I'll just give up. And you just grab the marshmallow instead of the bowl of ice cream. I obviously, I like ice cream. You You can fill in whatever treat you want there. But how many times is that true? We choose less than when we can have something better, we can have something more, and we start thinking like, wait, we're gonna put these disciplines in our lives. We're gonna, have, we're gonna Sabbath, we're gonna rest, we're gonna pray, we're gonna honor God with these parts of our lives, and, and nothing seems to be happening, so we just, we just throw in the towel, and we quit, and we settle for less than what God has for us. We, we settle for average life instead of an abundant life. And I'll be real honest, average is a, is a kind word, right? I, it, the A alliteration went together. But sometimes I think we settle for a disappointing life rather than the abundant life that Jesus offers us. We settle for an empty life rather than the life to the full. And, like, why would we do that? Why would we settle for, for less when God and Jesus is offering us this, this fullness of life, Anyone ever had these moments where you're a little disappointed in your faith? Maybe you thought, okay, if I start following Jesus, if I start doing this, then all these things are going to happen to me. And you, start, you have these, these visions, you have these thoughts of what it looks like, and then, then you start following Jesus, and immediately like, things aren't just like perfect. And you're like, wait, what's wrong? And we just feel disappointed. We feel like it's, we, we, we're settling for less. We feel like there's something more. And so this is what we're continuing to do in this series. We're seeing, how do we, how do we get the more? How do we actually receive the, the abundant life, the fullness of life that Jesus has to offer? Why continue to settle for a marshmallow when we can have something so much more, something so much greater? And so we've talked about in this series, we're learning how to be with Jesus, how to be like Jesus, how to do what Jesus did. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about, a, we've talked about abiding, We talked about our our mind last week, and this week we're going to talk about our body. And so I decided to pull a Steven and be a little bit nerdy, so I'm going to put a chart here on the screen. Hopefully this is is helpful for you. Um, And so it's it's extremely complicated, right? So this is a Venn diagram, and what we see is we've got abide, mind, body, and then you in the middle. And so here's what we're beginning to see. Here's what I want us to see as we look at this, this diagram, is where we abide, who we spend our time with. What we think about and what we do actually makes who we are. And they're all interconnected. These things all go together. And to be honest, sometimes I don't think we like to think about that. Like, whether or not we like it or not, like, what we think about, what we spend our days meditating on and thinking about, it, it's who we are. What we do with our bodies, it's, it's who we are. Whether we like it or not, like, this is, this is who, we, who we become where we abide, who we spend time with, who we're connected with. This is actually us. All these things are not separate. We're not like, okay, this part of my life is about my mind, and this part is about my body, and this part is about who I spend time with. And, okay, God, you can have my body and my mind, but my abiding, that's, that's mine. Or, or, God, you can have my, my mind and my abiding, but my body, that's mine. Like, no, that's not the way it works. Like, this is truly who we are. These things all come together, and it, it leads us to actually being who we are who we are. This exposes the true, the true self. I don't know if you guys have, like me, ever had one of these moments where you, like, you, you did something, you said something, and you just think to yourself, where did that come from? Maybe you lost your temper, and, like, maybe you're not a person who typically loses their temper, but you just, like, you did, and you just, you just lose it, and you just kind of left thinking, like, where did that come from? Or maybe, like, you say something, and it's just, like, ooh, I don't really know where that came from. Anybody had one of those moments? Yeah, I think we we all have those moments and we're just wondering like where did that come from? Jesus tells us where it comes from in Luke chapter 6. Here's what he says. He says, "The good man brings out good things stored up from the the good in his heart. The evil man brings out evil things stored out from the evil in his heart, for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks." So if you, you lash out in anger at somebody, where does that come from? Your heart. You, you, you have this, these hateful words that you speak to someone, and you're like, oh, where? Where did that come from? What does Jesus say? Your heart. It comes from who you are. And we might not like this, but it's, it's the reality of the situation. It's the reality of the truth. And one of the things I think is significant for us as we read through the Bible is the word heart is never talking about the organ in our chest that pumps blood. It's not talking about that. The heart, when we read it in the New Testament, it is always the, the fullness, the inner self, the complete person, the, the essence of who you are. And so what we see in the chart is what we do with our bodies, with our minds, and where we spend time, it, it's who we are. It starts to grasp and become who we are. And this is why our rhythms and our habits are so important we talked about last week about these different parts of our lives, the cycles that we begin to go through. Like when I'm stressed out, I go and eat ice cream. Or, or when I'm overwhelmed, I, I just like, I, I, I open up the, the pantry and grab something to drink or whatever it may be. And these rhythms that we begin to do, these things, they make us. They start to become who we are. And so out of our mind and our heart comes our actions and our words. And I think we we can we can get, we can see that we see that all throughout Scripture, and I think churches have done a really good job of talking about the importance of our souls, the importance of our spirits. Like we talk a lot about that at church. We do a great job at doing that. Not just here, but churches in general do a really good job of talking about that. I don't think we always do as good of a job of talking about the importance of our bodies and what we are actually doing with our body. Our bodies, they matter. Can I just remind you of something? Your body isn't just this lump of flesh to carry your soul around until you get to heaven. Your body matters. Like, listening in online, that's fine. But we cannot replace being together because our bodies matter. We're eating a meal together after this. Why? Because food is good. Because our bodies matter. We need to be together. It's good for us to be in contact with one another. I mean, just just think about this. God himself put on a body. I love the way the message version translates John 1:14. It says this: "The word Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood." This is what God does? He, his physical presence matters. Our body matters. And here's the thing: we cannot. We cannot separate our mind from our bodies. As much as we might want to, we cannot do it. Like just, just think about this. These are clearly connected. Just think about some emotional things that happen with our bodies. Look at, think of some of these terms we say. We say, it breaks my heart. It's a physical thing that happens emotionally. Or, or we say, I'm sick to my stomach. It's an emotional thing that's going on. That's a, we, we say that or in or the knees or something takes your breath away. Like, we say these different things with people, and there is a ton of scientific research to back this up. And I just want to say, like, if you want to get down a rabbit hole, like, start studying the connection between mind and body. There's a lot. But I found this one article that I thought was really helpful, this joint study that was done by a number of different universities in America that talked about the way that the mind and the body are connected. And it was studying emotional pain or emotional trauma or the things that we deal with when we, we have rejection. And so these universities, Duke, UCLA, University of Michigan, and the University of Colorado, they've done this study. And what they found is physical or emotional pain gets regulated, gets gets noticed by the brain the exact same way that physical pain would to your body. So you break an arm, your brain interprets it the same way that you break your heart. Or or this type of thing. So the emotional pain that begins to happen in the, the emotional world or mental world our bodies interpret it the exact same way. Our minds and our bodies, they are very, very connected. I mean, just think about this. Think about what happens physically when you're afraid. It's, a, it's an emotional thing, but sometimes we, we find it hard to breathe. Sometimes we, we, we literally are glued to the floor. We want to run, but we can't because we're afraid. Or what about anxiety? What about when that, when that pops up? Like, what begins to happen then? Like, that's a, that's a mental thing that's happening, but then I can't breathe. Or I'm finding it hard to, to, to function and do different stuff. Here's another one. What about stress? What does stress do to our bodies? Like, just think about this. Maybe you eat too much. Maybe you don't eat enough. Maybe you sleep too little. Maybe you sleep too much. Like, these, these things that, this isn't a physical thing, but it has a physical effect on our bodies. And we start to see, like, our bodies and our mind, they are very, very connected, when I was in university, part of my degree is in counseling. And one of the things that they teach you almost the very first day of counseling is all about your, your posture when you're in a counseling session. And it's like, you, you wouldn't think it's really important, but it is. It's very important. Your posture as a counselor. All right, so you guys who have your arms crossed, that's a no-no, all right? Because if you cross your arms in a counseling session, that's telling to the client or the person you're counseling, I am closed off to you. So you, you always, your arms aren't, your arms aren't crossed. If your legs are crossed, no, your legs your legs aren't crossed. So I don't know if you guys have seen, seen Tangled, that moment where Flynn Rider is about to get pushed onto the, on the horse is like legs apart, arms apart, legs apart, arms apart. That's what we're talking about here, okay? And so this is what you're doing. Your arms are apart, your, your legs are apart because you don't want to communicate, I'm closed off to what you're saying. But then you don't just do that. You don't lean back in your chair. You lean forward because you want to you feel engaged. And so this is what they teach you is like the posture of counseling is like is important. It matters not more than what you say or like what you're doing, but like we have to communicate how the way that our bodies, it says things to the mind and it begins to, to, to something that we start to see is to say that God doesn't care about our body and only cares about our souls. It's wrong to say that like what I do with my body doesn't matter because my soul is fine or my spirit is fine. It's, it's not the truth. And the writers of the Bible, like, they understand this. They've, gripped, they've come to grips with this. And I love what, what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4. I found this really helpful. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is, is much better, promising benefits for this life and the life to come. So we see there's this connection between physical and spiritual. The, our physical discipline can help us with our, with our spiritual discipline discipline. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. So let's flip to, to Romans 12 together. We, we talked about part of this passage last week, but we're going to do it a little more this week. So we'll start in verse 1, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your... You guys catch that word? If you're there. Bodies. Okay, so our bodies matter. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is uh, truly a way to worship. This is a passage from last week. Do not copy the patterns and customs of our world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so we see, it says, to offer our bodies. And here's, here's what we see. In this word, we start to study it in the, in the Greek. It is more than just flesh. It is the entirety of who we are. So we're, we're offering everything, our bodies included. And we are doing so to be living sacrifices. And the problem with living sacrifices is, is they, they, cl- they climb off the altar. Time and time again. And so as we read through the scripture, a sacrifice was always dead. There's two examples of living sacrifices in the Bible. There's Isaac, and then there's one you guys might really remember, Jesus. But these are the the examples that we see of a living sacrifice. And Paul is saying, every single day you crawl on the altar, you sacrifice yourself and say, God, I am laying down my rights. I am laying down what I want to do. I am laying down my mind, my spirit, my body. I'm giving it all to you. You can have it. And if you're anything like me, you start crawling off the altar, and we get back on. And we say again, God, this is what I'm doing. I am laying myself. I'm giving myself to you as my spiritual act of worship. So, if we continue in Romans, flip back a few chapters to Romans six. This principle is picked up again. Paul talks about this again about what we we give our our bodies and our lives to. In verse 16 or verse 13 of chapter six, it says, "Do not let any part of your what." body, become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God as you were dead. And now that you have new life, use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And then verse 16, it says, don't you realize that you will become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And so we give our bodies, we, we surrender them to God. And verse 16, I think, is really telling. It says, don't you know that you are a slave to, to whatever you give yourself to? I think we all know people. I think we're all included in this, who we've given ourselves to something and we've found ourselves enslaved by that. And Paul is saying, "Like, yeah, that's the way it works. And so what we do with our bodies, we give our bodies to, to God. We say, okay, God, as a slave, I am going to lay down all of my rights and I am going to give myself to you. And remember, here's what a slave could do in, in the world. A slave could do one thing, obey. And that's what we do. We say, okay, God, with my body, with my mind, with my spirit, with everything in me, I'm going to, I'm going to obey. And so here's, a, here's what we do. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. We offer our bodies as slaves to Christ, using it, saying, you know, you're in charge of all of me. So here's a really helpful summary for this. To surrender everything to Jesus really means everything. And that seems so simple, right? And I'll be real honest, it's really easy for me to stand up here and say that. It's really easy for me to say, hey, you need to surrender everything for Jesus, good luck. If we've ever tried to do it, we know it's a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit harder than that. And honestly, like this goes countercultural to our world. Like this flies in the face of everything our culture and everything our world would say. Our, our world tries to separate our bodies from our minds. Our world tries to separate these things in the words of the Bible. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, you can't do that. That's not the way that the world works. That's not the way that we work. You want to settle for an average life? Don't surrender all of yourself to Jesus. You want to settle for a disappointing life? There's how. Don't give everything to him. And so our minds and our bodies, they're connected. But I think it's really important for us as we start to think about the importance of our bodies. So now let's move a little more practical. Like using our bodies. Is a healthy body equals more service? And I think this is really significant for us is if we have a body, if our bodies are healthy, we can use them in service for the kingdom. If you flip to Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, flip to Philippians chapter 1. Is one of these moments in Philippians 1 where, where Paul is kind of having this internal dialogue, this inner wrestling that he is having in his life. Like, he's really torn between, do I want to stay on earth... Or do I want to go to heaven, like right now? Like, obviously, he wants to go to heaven. But Paul is having this real wrestling that's going on in his life. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 20, says, But I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For me, living is better, or living Sorry, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I am torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And so Paul, he is saying, he's he's torn. This is literally like an agonizing pain. And he's saying, but as long as I am in this body, I'm going to use this body to serve, to serve the kingdom. As long as I am in this body, I am going to use this body for the sake of the gospel. He said, it is better for you that I remain in the body. And so we use our bodies for the kingdom. We use our bodies for, for the sake of the gospel. Our lives are to be lived and our bodies are to be used for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. This is what Paul is laying out for us. He's showing us, like, use your body. Use every part of you for the sake of the kingdom. And so as we begin to think about what we're doing with our bodies, I, uh, I coach the, the under-16 boys basketball team in Kalanan, and, and so every, every week, there's this principle that I reiterate to them, and I make sure that we say a lot. One of the things that we say, we say a lot is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so this is, this is something I teach our boys. And it's actually from the Bible. I don't know if they know that. But it's a principle that I'm teaching our guys. Like, we'll, we'll practice a play. And then they'll be like, oh, Luke said I have to throw it to this guy. And so they'll throw it right to the defender. And I was like, just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Or like they'll have somebody yelling out their name and wanting the ball. And they'll try to pass it to them. And I'll blow the whistle. And I'll be like, what, guys? And they'll say, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And, and they say it to each other. I think it's a really important principle for us especially when it comes to our bodies. Just because you can have that next drink doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can eat a second side of dessert doesn't mean, doesn't mean you should. Just because you can hook up with that person doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can stay up three straight nights without sleep doesn't mean that you should. Like, just think about this. Like Maybe you can have, a, you can have that next drink. So the next morning you're gonna have a hard time getting up for church. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you you could stay up all night when somebody calls you and they need you, but you're too tired to actually be there for them. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And so one of one of my things is I I love Coke. Like like Coca-Cola. Let me let me rephrase it. I love Coca-Cola. I've never done the other Coke. Let's just make sure that we know that. I love Coca-Cola like a lot. But I realize it's not very good for me. If it was up to me, I would drink Coca-Cola like five times a day and I would not regret it one bit. I would love it. I probably would regret it when I go to sleep, but I love Coca-Cola. But I know drinking that much caffeine, drinking that much sugar is not good for me. And so I limit myself. I was like, okay, you can have one a month. At the very best, you can have two a month because it's something that I I like, but just because I can, just because I am an adult, doesn't mean I should replace Coca-Cola with water. Or that's, So just because we can do these things doesn't always mean that it's good. And so we start thinking in ways of this is like, how is my body, what am I doing with my body to serve the kingdom? How is what I'm doing with my body, is it aiding in the, in the mission of the kingdom or is it taking away from it? Like, what is it actually doing? And here's the cool thing for us, is what we begin to do when we discipline our body we start doing the things that God desires us to do in our body. We start to look like Jesus. And here's the amazing thing for each one of us. Is God put on a body. And Jesus gives us an example to show what our bodies actually should look like. Not like the way that like, his, his formers figure, but like he shows us what our body, the way that we should use our body to honor God. The way we should use our bodies to make a difference. So if you, once again, in your Bibles, flip to Mark 1. Mark 1, there is a beautiful story that shows us the way that Jesus uses his body. And I just I just think this is this is amazing. So Mark 1, starting in verse 40, here's what it says. A man with leprosy came and kneeled in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? He said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with this stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let, you ex- let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who are healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what, he had, ha- what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anymore. He had to stay in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. I love the end of this, is like Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone. And he was like, I, I can't help it. And it's like, I think sometimes I wonder, like, what if we did that? Like, we just we can't help but tell people about what Jesus has done for us? Like, this is what this man does. He's so excited. He he has to tell people about it. But there's this part of this passage, there it says in verse 41. It says he was moved with compassion. And we talked about this, this phrase, this terminology, when we were talking about God being a God of compassion. But I, I love this word, compassion. It's a root word, and it's sometimes translated in the Greek as, you ready for this? Shplaknon. All right, so this is the word, shplaknon. And it's, it's, it's as fun to say as it is the here. So on the count of three, I want all of us to say shplaknon together. All right, Ready? It's splaknon. Ready? One, two, three. Splaknon. It's fun, isn't it? Like, it's, it's a great word, but as we, as we hear this word, you know what that word is literally translated for us? Your bowels, intestines. So, not nearly as romantic, but more biblical to tell your partner, Honey, I love you from the bottom of my intestines. From the, very, from the deepest part of my bowels, I love you. Not as romantic, but more biblical. But, like, this is what we're seeing here. And you guys, can you picture the word picture, though? When you have compassion with for someone, where do you, where do you feel it? Right in your gut, right? And you're nong right? This is where you feel it. You feel it right here. Like, we don't feel it always here. But there's, like, this something about us, like, it just makes us sick in our stomach. And, and this is what Jesus says. is like, he is moved with compassion. He... he Jesus doesn't have a bowel movement, but he, like, he is moved with compassion. That's the first thing that popped in my mind when I was about to say that. That was not good. Uh, so Jesus is he's moved with compassion. From Sprachnan. it moves out of him, and he sees this. And one thing that I think is really important for us to, to realize is, is this idea of leprosy. Now, the, the leprosy in the first century and le, leprosy in the 21st century, different things. All right, because in, the, in the, 20, or the first century for all intents and purposes, you were going to die of leprosy. Like, it is gross. It is something that's terrible. It's going to happen. It's still not a good thing to have now. But do you guys want to know, like, when someone had leprosy in the first century, you know how far they had to stay away from other people? Anybody have any guesses? Six foot, two meters. Sound familiar to anyone else? Like, so we have no idea about this contagious disease that's going around. And this is what leprosy was. They literally had to stay six foot two meters away from each other. And so leprosy, this is a terrible disease. But there's something I want us to see about this. Look, look at verse 21, 31, or 41 again. Moved with compassion, with sprakhnong, Jesus reached out and touched him. You guys catch that? He reached out and he touched him. I love that about Jesus, because Jesus could have just said, hey, dude, you're healed. I mean, Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and they stopped dead in their tracks. Jesus walks into a a graveyard and says, hey, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus walks out. But here, Jesus touches him. He touches a man that... Nobody else wanted to touch. He is moved with compassion, and he uses his body as a way to show love and dignity and value for this guy. He loves him. Jesus touched him. And friends, we can never underestimate the power of touch, the power of, of a touch that the, using our bodies the way to honor people, to honor God the way that Jesus does for us. Several years back, there was this research that was done that studied NBA teams, so the basketball, basketball league. And what they studied, they charted every single touch, positive touch that, that teams had. High five, a hug, a attaboy, whatever it may be. They charted every single one of these things. And what they found is the teams that had more positive touch the first half of the season had a better record at the second half of the season. And so they conclude that the positive physical touch, it, it matters. Now, there's I, I could have a couple of arguments. Like you probably gave more high fives if your team was actually good, sure. But like, it, the, the, you get the point. Like this idea of like, of touching. Just think about this. How can we how can we be like Jesus with our touch? How can we be with, like Jesus with our body? Man, who is it that we need to put an arm around? Not figuratively, but literally. Who is it that we need to put an arm around and be like, I'm gonna walk with you through this. Who is it that needs a hug? Like a a literal hug. Like for me, this one's easy. I'm a hugger. But like, who is it that just needs to be hugged? Who is it in your life that you just need to grab their hand and like, let me just, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray with them. Like, how are we using our bodies? And what we see in this story is that Jesus's touch always restored dignity, value, and worth. Because as we think about this man, can you just picture what this man with leprosy, what his life was like? He, he had leprosy, a highly contagious disease. He has to self-isolate. He has to go out of the city and go into like this colony of leopards. And so what begins to happen? The man can't hug his kids. The man can't kiss his wife. The man can't shake hands with a friend. The man can't even go into the temple to worship. He has to yell and shout unclean when anyone comes in here, comes around him. That is not a life to be living. That is a life that is scraped and taken away of dignity and worth and value. And Jesus touches him. And when he does, his life is changed. He gives value and dignity back to him. So I think for us, the question is, what are we doing with our bodies? How am I using my body to be like Jesus? How am I using my body in a way that honors God? I mean, every single day we need to get up and we need to look at our look at our hands. It's like, what, how am I going to use these hands today to bring glory to God? How am I look at our feet? How am I going to use my feet today to bring honor to, to God? How am I going to use my back to bring honor and dignity? to show the people what the world is like, what God is like, to carry on the gospel. How am I going to use this? One of my favorite passages is in Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. How can you use your body to carry someone's burden? What's the burden that you can be carrying literally, figuratively? Maybe somebody is, needs a meal fixed for them. And so you use your hands and you fix a meal and you drop it by. You carry their burden. Maybe someone literally needs like, to be helped down the stairs. I don't know. Like, how can you use your body to help somebody to carry the burdens that we need to carry? Because our bodies, they matter. And what we see with Jesus is what happens in him when he's moved with spraknon, when he's moved with compassion, it comes out of him. It moves from his, his bowels to his hand. It doesn't sound as good as his heart to his hands, but yeah, that's what happens. So what about us? Are we using our bodies for the sake of the gospel? Is what we know about Jesus and what we, where we spend time with Jesus, is it actually coming out in an action of living for him and doing things for him? I don't know if you guys have ever uh, driven with a GPS and missed a turn. Anyone ever done that? If you've ever driven with a GPS, you've done that. Like, all right, and, and so and here's one of the things that I love, is, is when you miss a turn, the GPS doesn't say, hey, stupid, you missed the turn. How could you miss that? Like, what's wrong with you? How could you miss that turn? I was very clear. I told you how many meters you had, and you missed it. What's wrong with you? The GPS doesn't do that. It gently but forcefully, forcefully it's like, make a U-turn. Or it starts giving you another route so that you can get where you, which, where you need to go. And I actually think that's a really important principle for us. As we start thinking about our bodies, we start thinking about these spiritual disciplines, and we start thinking about the ways that we use our lives, we, 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 look, at, we look at the ways, maybe we've, we've made some wrong turns. Maybe there's some things that we've done with our bodies, with our minds, with our, with our abiding, that don't bring glory and honor to God. And so what do we do? We turn around. We do like what the GPS does. Notice the GPS doesn't pick us up and put us right back where we're supposed to be. No, we don't start where we're supposed to be. We start where we are. And this is, you guys have heard us say this, right? This principle continues to come up again and again. And we start, we turn around, we say, okay, today's the day. GPS, God, I'm gonna listen to you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do with my body. I'm going to do what you tell me to do with my mind. I'm going to do what you tell me to do with my spirit. I'm going to do what you tell me to do with my time. And I'm going to get on the right path today. And I'm going to start doing the things that I am meant to do and heading in the direction that you want us to go. I mentioned that there are two living sacrifices in in the Bible. One's Isaac and, and the other is Jesus. And what we see with Jesus is Jesus shows us what it looks like to give his body for our sake. His body is broken, literally broken, so that we could be, we could be saved, so that we could, be, we could be made free, so that we could be healed. So I'm just going to pray for us, and we're going to get ready to move into a time of communion. It's a time for us to, to remember what Jesus has done for us. As we take apart the, the, the cracker that has literally been, been broken, we remind, we're reminded of our, of our Savior, whose body was literally broken as we take the juice which is reminding us of the blood that was shed of the body that Jesus gave up so that we could be made free, so that we could be made whole. Let me just remind you of what Paul says. We have been called to freedom, my dear brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to serve your sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you.